Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 110, recorded on June 12th of 2020. There's been a bit of a delay between the last episode and this one in the times that they've been recorded. I apologize. I had a massive computer failure, which uh, maybe I'll get into in a little bit. But hey, we're back at it. And uh, this is the Photo Geekery podcast where uh, we just chat about whatever comes across the news feed. And we've got some really good stories uh, this week from uh, everything from the... uh, Honestly, well, <laughs> we'll just get into it. Uh, I have a new guest here, uh, Troy Miller. Troy is a guy that I first connected with to do some image critiquing with. And since then, we've done more image critiquing uh, yeah. on a very recent episode of uh, Behind the Shot Critiques that I do with Steve Brazel. And Troy was a wonderful uh, third party to that conversation, added a lot to it. And I know and value his opinion on all things photography, or at least things we've talked about so far, Troy. You're about to be tested here to see if you can pass muster on the stories du jour how you doing man <laughs> i'm i'm doing good thank you thanks for having me it's fun uh, yeah and uh, uh w- w- what's your elevator pitch it's your first time on the show so tell people a little bit about you uh before we dig into the stories um i am a full-time working pro wedding photographer portrait photographer and also a fine art which is sort of my hobby side this is my 30 year uh mark as a full-time photographer so i've spent a lot of time saturated in the industry i've come from film and shooting Hasselblads into digital and where we are today. And it's an extraordinarily exciting um, industry to be a part of. And I'm, I'm happy to be able to contribute because I think that uh, uh, we need a lot of uplifting in the industry and with individuals today. So I'm happy to be Absolutely. Here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and thank, thank you for being here. As a, as a full-time wedding photographer, um, you know, weddings this year, I mean, they're still happening. Uh, albeit fewer and uh, sometimes people are just eloping and it's just a, a piece of paper or it's uh, the gatherings happen via zoom or right. whatever else you're not going to be uh, filming or shooting a whole lot of weddings this year so how how have you pivoted in different ways uh, or are you just kind of hunkering down and waiting for 2021 um we are we are pivoting I mean you know we're we- we're very customer service oriented. So we spend a lot of time communicating with our clients. My, my wife and I, we do this full time. So she's really sort of the voice of us. And right now what she's doing is she's communicating with our brides, making sure that they're okay, they're happy. What do we need to do if they're rescheduling, trying to get them new dates on the calendar? If they have to cancel, uh, what do we do about their deposits, trying to get their deposits back or, you know, uh, apply that to a future shoot or something, you know, just trying to make life uh, easier for whoever's involved working with a lot of coordinators and event locations. Um, There's no standard for this. There's nothing for us to look back on and go, well, you know, when this happened back in, you know. 20, 2009, here's what we did. <laughs> photography in 1918 really isn't the same photography as it is today, no. right? You can't use that as a reference. No, no. So that's really what we're doing right now is, is that we're really just reaching out to our couples, staying in communication, um, booking family shoots and things like that for the future when it's when it's ready, when we can go do it. Cool. Have, have yeah. you done any uh, uh, porch portraits or portraits uh, as has become a popular term? No, 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 I, you know, um, my, my shooting style is very personal and I really don't want to jeopardize my ability to create by trying to distance myself, 
you know, and shoot everything with a 70 to 200 or something like that. I, I, I need to be close to my clients. I need to pose them and be fun with them and interact with them. So, uh, we're putting everything off until we can get back to shooting normally so I can create what I'm good at creating. Right. Well, that's a, that's a good mindset to have. Uh, so cool. Awesome. Uh, there, there's your elevator pitch. Thank you for uh, <laughs> letting me get inside your head a little bit. And oh, now yeah. we're going to get inside these stories. Um, the first one kind of, <clears throat> it strikes a chord with me because when I first started getting into photography, I kind of threw everything against the wall and just saw what stuck. Uh, and I tried all manner of different photography. I tried being a second shooter for some weddings. No. Flat out, not my cup of tea, Troy. We <laughs> will disagree on where our passions lay for sure. Um, and uh, it's not like there wasn't any Bridezilla. It just it wasn't uh, or mother of Bridezilla, even worse. Um, right. But but even still, it just wasn't where my interests were. Uh, I liked shooting sciencey, weird uh nature stuff and there's not a whole lot of market for that so i tried to find different markets i tried to see what of it would sell on uh, micro stock agencies and i signed up for a few of them uh, including iStock photo and dreams time uh this is way back I mean, almost a decade ago right and uh i was i have a framed uh, photo uh, uh one of my photos on the cover of the journal nature structural and molecular biology that i got paid less than two dollars for <laughs> uh, they licensed it from iStock Photo. So at that po uh, moment in time, at that point, I decided, yeah, this is not going to work. Uh, and I pulled everything down. But some people stuck through it, right? Some people really, uh, they had the mindset of, okay, well, if I can go up a couple of tiers, a lot of the, uh, the pricing schemes for these uh, uh, mm -hmm. companies uh, will be tiered so that if you were to have, uh, you know, X number more downloads or purchases, then you'd get a higher percentage of that cost. Uh, at least that's how Shutterstock works, which is our first story. Uh, from DP Review, Shutterstock announces new earnings structure and contributors uh, uh, are anything but happy. I mean, uh, so I, I want to send this to, to you. Describe what's happening here and what your thoughts are, and I'll come back in. Uh, you know, it seems to me that that the the microstock market is an is an iffy market anyway, right? Like, I mean, if you're going to create work and you're going to sell it into that market, and you're really going to get pennies back, is that a, is that a market that you want to get into? You know, if Shutterstock wants to change their policy, um, how much of your return were you really getting from that? I guess, well, but, is, but the is, policy change is really extreme here because let's say you've stuck it out for that decade that I refused right. to to do, and you got the downloads, uh, which put you into a higher tier, so that even a niche image would net you something. And it's a volume market; it's not a quality market. Really, the right. best people that are doing this stuff are shooting and uploading thousands upon thousands of images in every niche and hoping that one, uh, you know, it's like buying lottery tickets. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> right, which I don't right. do, but uh, maybe, maybe there's a common thread there. Uh, but but they've changed that now. So now if you went through that whole process and you now are okay at this, it's now a revenue stream for you, diminishing as it may be from what I've been hearing from these kinds of people anyhow. Uh, sure. But now they just, they not only tried to put a nail in the coffin, they built a coffin, put you inside it and are nailing it shut by, <laughs> uh, by changing the methodology 
as a per image basis, not a per account basis. And so what that means is if you've got one successful image, um, that was previously elevating you to a higher tier where you were making money on all of your less successful images as well. Uh, now every image individually has to meet a certain threshold before you actually get paid something semi-meaningful. And even at that point, it's probably not going to be worthwhile. Um, I just... This never made sense to me. This entire business model, even before this change. Right. And now it just uh, makes it completely unviable for anybody to continue along this way. Yeah. And the, the commission rates I'm looking at are, are, are really dismal. I mean, even if you, if you could get your work hanging in a traditional gallery, they pay you better than what, yeah. what Shutterstock is paying you. And literally, Shutterstock is, is selling a virtual product that, that doesn't have a lot of overhead to push that. Right. And so that's really unfortunate. I, I think that anytime a corporation does something like that without really caring about its patrons uh, or its customers, that's always sad. One of the things that I tried to find was the user license agreement, the contract between uh, Shutterstock, for example, and the artists. And I'm wondering, like in that contract, does Shutterstock say that they can change this policy at any time? I and, think that's almost commonplace that that's going to be in there somewhere. Right, right. Uh, but but at the same time, you know, when I when I was um, producing work and publishing it on iStock Photo for a very limited trial period, um, I found some of my work being infringed, and it had at one point been licensed on iStock Photo. And I asked them; they're now part of Getty. But I asked them, uh, "Well, can I can I have a record of who licensed my work so that I can cross check this? Because uh, I don't think this is licensed." And they said, no, no, we, we, we're not going to give you that information. I said, okay, well, that's odd. Uh, I should know where my work goes. Uh, can you at least confirm that this particular uh, outlet has a license for this image? And they said, no, we can't confirm that. We can't deny it. We can't tell you anything. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that's even worse. I have no idea what Shutterstock's policies are, if they're the same or, or different. Um, but when you see those... Uh, terms and conditions and user license agreement, whatever the terminology yep. you want to be for the pages upon pages of legalese, there's a reason why that's there. And it's not to protect the user or the employee, right. it's to, to protect the company. Um, so I'm not surprised that this type of thing happens. Um, but will this, will this change the way people look at these kinds of agencies from uh, uh, an income source? Uh, I think so. But it also brings a follow-up article uh, also on DP Review, that Dreams Time is increasing its royalties for stock photo contrib contributors in response to the COVID-19 economic impact. Now, while that, that feels noble, that also comes right on the heels of Shutterstock getting just slammed for their policy change. Right. And so from a business perspective, it would make a lot of sense for Dreams Time to come in and say, for a limited period of time, you know, AKA the pandemic, let's hope that's limited, um, that uh, we're going to increase by 10% all the royalties that you get, hoping that uh, they'll get some people coming over from Shutterstock onto Dream's Time as a platform. And that makes good economic sense for them. Um, and under the guise, and I'm just, I don't know what their intentions are. I just know we're in a pandemic and it makes really good business sense uh, based on what Shutterstock has just done to make this happen. Right, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. So is that the right direction? 
uh, Troy, and would you, have you, uh, do you know anybody that's ever tried to make money from these platforms? I, you know what, like myself and several friends that I have, we've all tried. And once we, you know, we go through the effort, we get everything posted, and then you get a few dismal sales and you realize that you're really getting pennies back. Um, I, like you, I think what you decided many years ago was I decided that that wasn't worth my effort because if I took three months and tried to sell one photo at the price that I think that photo is really worth, it's way better than the time that I would have spent uploading and tracking thousands of, of uh, images into a service like that to earn back pennies, where literally um, I am the squirrel running the <laughs> running the, 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 the power supply for that company. And I'm, that, that doesn't make me happy, you know? No. Um, and, and maybe it's a little bit more a controversial topic, but I, I really feel like companies like Shutterstock and maybe even Dreamstime and stuff ha- is devaluing uh, photography in a, in a way. That, I don't think that's controversial at all. I think that it is devaluing um, what it means to be a professional and being paid well for your work. Um, but keep in mind that anybody taking a snapshot of a, a price tag at a grocery store with their cell phone is also devaluing photography, right? You know, photography's um, uh, definition is constantly expanding and changing, and it's a very fluid thing. So uh, in terms of professional photographers that have skills that should be paid for because those skills, I mean, they have to be earned through experience or education or both, um, that uh, if it's like the soccer mom with the camera or uh, the um, the one employee at a company that has uh, a camera that can change lenses and the boss says, hey, Doug, <laughs> yeah. uh, you got a nice camera. Can you redo all of our portrait headshot, our, our cor- uh, corporate headshots? And, yep. uh, and he says, well, am I going to get paid for it? And he says, yeah, sure. You got a nice camera. The camera will do the work. Uh, and therein lies the worst headshots the company's ever had. But they don't realize that until that point. And so when, when you look at Shutterstock, Dreamstime, iStock Photo, uh, any of these microstock agencies in general, I think that they cater uh, to, to the people that want to be a photographer. Uh, and I think everybody in the past would have that one in a million image. And in the past, that one in a million image uh, that they're proud of, that they would let the local newspaper run for free and frame yeah. a copy of the paper and and put a feather in their cap and, and be happy about it. Um, those are the people that will contribute to these services a little bit, dip their toe in the waters like we did. But right. very few people end up making a livelihood from this. Um, and I, I guess at that point we have to establish that that these platforms are always going to exist because there's more and more photographers that are always going to start dabbling in it. Uh, and that's going to, uh, to keep them alive, keep them going and keep them growing because photography is a growing thing. And the number of people taking pictures is always growing. The number of contributions to these websites is always growing. And right. if people leave it and say, ah, you know what? I put 10 images up and I'm just going to forget it. They might not ever reach their threshold of a payout. Uh, and then the company just keeps all of the money forever and ever, and we get nothing well, back. It, so it's it's killing the industry, Troy. It is. It's also a low barrier of entry. I mean, it's super easy to upload images to one of these type of companies and then hope that you're going to get uh, some profitability, or at least you can say, "Hey, I've got my images on a you know a 
a stock you know, website. Here, here's, here's my link to look at my work. It's very difficult to get into a traditional gallery. It's very difficult to get a mm-hmm. showing. It's very difficult to do that. So what would maybe be really cool at a time like this when there's so much upheaval is to see some of the local galleries uh, around their community saying, hey, you know what? Why don't, why don't you guys bring your work to us? Let's actually create a real world gallery showing and let's actually get some value for your work. Because some of these images that are on Shutterstock and, and all and all these other kinds, Dreams Time as well, they're amazing images. They're beautiful. There is some outstanding work on there that is much more deserving than what they're getting paid by that company for royalties first. And there's also a lot of junk on there too. There I is mean- a lot of junk. Yes. <laughs> to be to be fair, you know, I'm I'm uh, I think that if you were to take those same sets of images and take them into a gallery setting where you're going to have a, a, a human curator that's going to sit there and go. Um, you know, uh, I'm really sorry, sir, but you know, th- this is, this work isn't for us. You know, this needs a little refinement that might actually help that person grow as well, as opposed to, Hey, look at, I got this gallery online. I'm selling all my work online. Look at, I'm a great photographer. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, I want to see people grow and improve their work and get paid the value that they deserve for that work. Right. And, and at one point in the past, I actually was looking for a stock photo of something and I found uh, what I was looking for on Shutterstock. Uh, and I looked up the user's account and I, I tracked them down and I licensed f- it from them personally for twice what it would have cost me from Shutterstock and they got 100% of it. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, there are things that we can do. I mean, I'm a content creator as well. If I need, uh, you know, a, a stock image for something, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff I can shoot myself, but what if I don't have the object of desire that's in the photograph? Um, <laughs> right, and right. so I can, I can go to somebody else and make sure that they're paid well for it. I don't mean to say don't use these services, but these services also show the username of the person that is uploading that content. Right. And uh, sometimes that's unique enough that you can track that person down. So maybe this is a time if you need an image to just avoid the entire platform system altogether. Use that as it's almost like it's like your uh, people use camera stores. They would walk into a camera store and <laughs> right. handle the camera and ask the person all the questions and then bugger off and buy it on B&H online because it's cheaper, uh, which <laughs> yep, I don't like. Was, but this is the same mentality. That happened. Except, yeah. Except at this point, you'd be uh, screwing over the large corporation that is already screwing over the photographers on the platform. So kind uh, of. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. I think that personal connection is, is a good way to go. And it's easy to reach out to that artist. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, you talk about maybe making a few dollars for your photography early on. Uh, As I did before I was a professional, I funneled all of that back into new equipment and new lenses, a printer, etc. And uh, really got my feet wet in, in the whole industry. And so now the next story is about new lenses that might be coming out uh, in 2020 from Petapixel. These are all of the lenses Canon will announce in 2020, a report. Well, I mean, they're speculating. We don't know if these will all get announced, but there's a good list of them here. Yep. Uh, I'm going to run down the list. These are all RF mount lenses. Interestingly, that there's no EF mount lenses at all in this list, uh, which we might, uh, might talk about. But we're going to get a 70 to 200 f4, a 100 to 500 f4.5 to 7.1. And that's interesting. That 7.1, we're going to touch on that uh, when we come back around. Um, 50 millimeter f1.8, 
80, uh, 85mm f2 macro. I don't know why you need a macro lens to be f2. I never shoot those lenses <laughs> wide open. But um, Portraits. then it gets really interesting. A 600 and an 800mm f11 diffractive optics DO image stabilized STM lens, uh, as well as a 1.4 and 2 times teleconverter. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. What stands out the most for you? <laughs> f11 f11 so but also diffractive optics which traditionally would make the lens shorter uh and more compact uh and and we've seen that in other lens designs from canon in the past for many years um but previously we could never have an f11 lens because you'd lose autofocus using traditional um uh, phase detection autofocus right it just it's not possible past i think f8 and only in very expensive cameras and only in the center um not across the board but right the autofocus technology is constantly evolving and if you can get good autofocus that does not depend on on that uh, phase detect uh, autofocus system that we've been so used to for decades then maybe you don't need to have a lens that wide open anymore uh, if you can intelligently create that autofocus otherwise and create smaller lenses, cheaper lenses, lighter lenses um, that still autofocus just as fast, right? I, I don't understand who's going to be the use case for this um, 600 my, to 800 My grandmother F- on F11. Safari. <laughs> I, I, maybe... Uh, maybe, but you're still only letting in, you know, F11 amount of light, which the camera, the more light the camera has, the easier it is to focus, right? Whether it's phase detection or whatever, it's still going to be a challenge for that camera, you know? And I just, I want, my whole thing is like, that's it. That's a great length of lens. And if you're in bright sunlight, it's small, you can handhold it. But who wants F11? I, I mean... <laughs> If, if, if the camera or the lens ends up being like the size of the microphone that I'm speaking into right now <laughs> at six or 800 millimeters, I mean, we don't know the exact dimensions of these physical uh, gadgets when it comes down to it. Right. So that, I think, is the deciding factor. If you can make a lens that's 800 millimeters, that goes toe to toe with a uh, like I've used the, the Leica 100 to 400 uh, micro four thirds lens. And it is gorgeous. It's it's sharp. It autofocuses pretty quickly. Yes, it's faster than f11, but relatively, it might be somewhat similar. I'm not sure. I haven't done the conversion uh, between the full frame and micro four thirds on that particular lens. But the idea of of light, small, and long in terms of the focal length is uh, is appealing to travel photographers, to birders, to people that love photography, or they've just retired and they want to pick up a hobby and photography ends up being it, uh, but they don't want to own a lens that needs to be operated on a tripod. Um, right. Then that's where that, uh, that comes into play. It's Maybe. also go- going to be a cheaper lens that they could sell in higher volume and the manufacturing costs are likely lower. And the technology... Uh, low ISO uh, performance continues to get better. High ISO performance continues to get better. Uh, sensitivity uh, and image quality across the board is constantly improving. And sure. I think that if you're getting to the point where, yes, our dynamic range is great on the low end, it's still very usable on the high end, that uh, F11, at least within the next few years, will become even more usable than it is today. And it's a gamble. 
it's a bet that the cameras will be able to service that lens even better in the future. I, I could I could see the hope that it would do that. <laughs> I'm not so optimistic. I, I think that, you know, maybe maybe Canon has a roadmap with this lens, kind of like what you're talking about. Uh, just just looking at that, I, it feels extraordinarily uh, niche right now. And until we see the price point, I think that's what's really going to change. Like, is this going to be, you know, a $1,200 lens or a $2,500 lens, right? Because if it's a $1,200 lens, you could throw that bad boy in your bag. And if you're out at a game or, 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 or a race or something and you're in bright sunlight or whatever, traveling, no problem. But if you've got to, if you've got to, if you've got to drump some cash on that, uh, <laughs> the usability you want it to be able to do something other than only shoot in daylight, you know? Yeah, well, a, a lot of wildlife photographers will work in daylight or dawn and dusk type of uh, time frames, and I remember shooting with the Sigma one hundred to five hundred. Um, at 500 millimeters, uh, even wide open, uh, I was getting like a shutter speed of like one thirtieth of a second at 45 minutes past sunset uh, in a moving canoe trying to photograph some moose in the Yukon. And that's not ideal. Uh, <laughs> no, that, no, that, that, that was not. back in 2012, though. And so the cameras have gotten much, much better. Yeah. And I would be able to uh, the, the lenses have better image stabilizers, but the cameras can operate at higher ISOs. I was shooting at ISO 12,800 at the time. And the resulting image was almost garbage. Uh, now, that same setting is incredibly usable on a modern, uh, oh, absolutely, expensive camera, uh, and uh, twenty five thousand six hundred and fifty one thousand two hundred, and so on. Uh, th those numbers are now not fanciful dreams. Uh, if you need to push, they're there for you, uh, and f eleven then becomes less of a barrier as we can push further. Right now, but but what about the focusing mechanism? Is going to have to gain up. The, the, the brightness of the image just to focus. So it's not just simply being able to shoot at a high ISO, which is great. We can drag the shutter, we can do all kinds of things with that. But in order for something to focus at F11, even in moderate to soft light, I think that's going to be where the test with the camera is going to really tell whether or not the this camera is a has to drive lens. the lens. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, You're not going to be able to. You don't have a good camera. If, if you try to attach one of those to an EOS uh, RP, uh, you're probably not going to have much luck, but maybe the R5 and whatever its successor will be right. will handle it nicely. Right, right. So yeah, so it's really going to come down to can the body drive that lens? Can it, can it, you know, peak the viewfinder enough and the focusing mechanism enough to get a good solid contrasty image to be able to focus? Because soft light is is the death of focusing, right? So Right, well, and also, I mean, we're rolling the term AI into everything these days and sure. uh, deep learning and cameras are getting smarter than us uh, half the time. But what if you were to apply a two times teleconverter to that 800 millimeter lens? <laughs> I you know. Because uh, you lose two stops at that point. So F11 becomes uh, F16, F22. The widest yeah. aperture on that lens becomes F22. And I don't think any camera on the market today or within the next year will be able to handle that nicely. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like that's a roadmap that I would. I, I have faith in that the cameras could be able to handle that. So maybe they meant the teleconverter to work on the fifty millimeter or something. Yeah, <laughs> or the the one hundred to five hundred because then then you get closer to f eleven with that bad boy and you have a zoom option. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, traditionally the, uh, the 100 to 500 or uh, one to four, uh, lens from Canon, uh, had the, uh, opportunity to use a teleconverter with right uh, the original version of that lens called the dust pump because it had a pump focusing or a pump yeah. uh, zoom mechanism i own that lens and it uh, it lived up to the name dust pump um also functioned absolutely terribly with teleconverters yep um no matter which generation you used it with so uh mileage may vary but that's what's coming from canon uh and in 2020 the year of the pandemic. Um, so <laughs> I, I guess those long telephoto lenses are good for safe distancing, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You can go out and you can do some portraits. <laughs> All right. Well, I I kind of buried the lead for, uh, for this story um, or for this episode. Uh, Instagram, uh, this is reported by DP Review, but I've seen it elsewhere as well, uh, clarifies its sub-license terms do not cover embedded images and this is huge do you know why this is huge troy well it's copyright infringement with our imagery yeah of course that well I mean, but everybody took it for granted oh i can embed it from instagram they have the ability to sublicense ad nauseum of anything that's on their platform and i'm allowed to embed images from instagram onto my website my uh my news site my blog my anywhere on on the on the web um and now that's not the case and this was really key. You had the ability to license it. Uh, or Instagram had that uh, ability based on their terms to sub-license the work through the API to be embedded on another website. Right. But they've clarified their terms to state that while we have the ability to do that, we don't. We never expressly stated that. We never, uh, I mean, we, we offer it, but... It just, it seems so weird. It means that anybody embedding any Instagram photo um, that somebody owns the copyright to on their website is now definitively infringing on that person's copyright. Now, you know, I tried to find the user license agreement for Instagram and, and maybe maybe you know the answer to this, but when you use Instagram, are you giving them permission to share <clears throat> and sub-license your images? Yes, absolutely, 100%. However, it's their prerogative at that point, once they have the ability to do so, whether or not they actually uh, act on that. And, and do license the image further on to anybody that embeds. And they have clarified that they don't, that they do not uh, sub-license to an embedded user by default. And that's the important language. It's, it doesn't matter if they can, it's that they can and they don't. I right. have the ability to do 10 jumping jacks a day. I do not. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder what their intention is behind that. Is it just to avoid the conflict from artists? But I think what it really speaks to is all parties involved need to be aware of where our images are being used. What is the legal rights for those images to be out there, whether we're providing them to, to Instagram or a Shutterstock or whatever. But also on the other side, if you're somebody grabbing somebody else's image, or even if <clears throat> you assume that uh, Instagram is going to allow you to sublicense it, you need to make sure that it's okay. And even, even with that licensing, let's say there's a human in there. They may have the right to let you use that image, but did that human that has their face in there, did they give a, a, 
a, a release to do did that? they sign off a model release and yeah did they sign a off lot a model of complexity release? there um i had uh two years ago I had uh, mail.ru, M-A-I-L.ru, Russian website. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, uh, MSN.com or something. Like It's a very popular website. I don't know who exactly owns it, but it's one of those landing pages uh, for folks in Russia. And they did an article on my, uh, on my photography, um, but they embedded everything from Instagram. And uh, I ended, I had no idea where it was happening. I ended up getting like a thousand new followers on Instagram that day, uh, all Russian. And it t- <laughs> I, I ended up just sending some uh, messages to some of the people that started following me. It's like, Hey, <laughs> uh, why, why am I now big in Russia? Like what, what, what's the deal here? And, uh, I tracked down the article and mail that are you. And it was all uh, Instagram embeds, which now it's being ruled that they never had an actual license to distribute my work that way. Even I thought they did. Um, and now I know that they don't. Now, going after copyright infringement in Russia, uh, it's not gonna probably happen. not going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the only way to defend that is to put a gun up against somebody's head. Um, and right. I'm not about to take those measures. So, right. Uh, that that one slides, but if my work is uh, is used in an embedded form, then the person embedding it must be sure that they are qualified under fair use uh, or fair dealing in Canada and uh, the UK uh, legislation that they have the ability to do that for critiquing purposes. For you know, journalists can use work because they're reporting on things uh, in context with proper attribution and so on and so forth. You have to meet all of the pillars uh, of fair use to qualify for that. And so there might still be a lot of journalistic approaches um, that qualify that fair use, especially because attribution is given inherently by the embedding process, right? Right. And that's, that's kind of the confusing part of it is, is that if, if, if you do your due diligence and you go to Instagram and you look at the user license agreement and it says that Instagram has the right to license that, right, to sublicense that, then I go to an image and I can copy a link or I can embed. It is assumed that because they're giving me that ability that I have the right to do that. And I guess the lesson learned is th- nothing is obvious, <laughs> right? Yep. Nothing is as it, as, as it seems. And it would be, it would be a, a good behavior for anybody that's using somebody else's images to always try to reach out to that artist and say, hey, are you cool with this? Even if they have the right to do that, that would just be such a wonderful practice. Because I know, I know you specifically, you've had so many images of yours infringed upon that had that company, even if they had the best intentions, had just reached out to you with a little email and said, hey, uh, we're going to grab these five images off your Instagram. We're going to write this article in you know, Science Digest. Are you cool with that? One email, one response, problem solved. And I might be cool with it. I might charge them a small fee. I might charge them a big fee, depending on what they right. want to do. You know, if they, if they want to put it on, a, on the cover of their publication, well, obviously, I need to be compensated for that. Um, right. But at the same time, uh, I love having those conversations uh, and establishing what it needs to be used for and figuring out fair value for my work uh, and not let some letting somebody else control that I think is useful. However, uh, if Instagram wanted to put my photos on a billboard, um, they have the rights to do that. 
Um, they yep. have every right. Every social media platform has very similar rules to that. They don't. Yep. Um, and while they might win in the court of law, they might get crucified in the court of public opinion. Um, right. And that can be oftentimes more damaging to a brand's reputation, uh, depending on who's who's fighting the good fight there. But um, yeah, so anybody... And this is like, this is a public service announcement to anybody that's considering doing an embed for any Instagram post. You are not legally allowed to do that unless you've had permission <laughs> from the author of the photograph or that person has admitted to have licensed the image under Creative Commons or put it in the public domain uh, or can confirm that every model in the photo has had uh, a release signed, etc. Um it's thin ice to walk on now when you're trying to disseminate the social media stuff, even if you're trying to just be innocent about it. Right. And it, and it really falls to the, to the end user, the person acquiring the photograph to make sure that they are respecting and following the law and the, the usage rights of that image, because it can't be assumed you know, that Instagram did their due diligence and made everybody aware of their policy, right? It, it could yep. be said that, oh, I didn't, I didn't read that somewhere. I didn't agree to that. Well, now the person who's using my image is going to say, no, no, you agreed to Instagram's policies. Well, now, now, now we have this conflict interpretation of law. So the best thing is all around, whether you're a designer or you're a writer or a blogger, just contact the maker of the image and work with them. You may build an amazing relationship that you just never thought of. Just because that image is out there doesn't mean you have a right to use it. Exactly. And uh, that brings it back to the whole copyright issue that, um, you know, I, I have some images that get stolen more frequently than others, but I've had some that... Um, uh, that I thought were kind of throwaway images. I mean, they, they had value, mind you, but they, they didn't have global appeal. Uh, they weren't iconic in any way. And even those were infringed because people just found them on the internet and thought, oh, that's free to use. And, uh, and so they did. And that was outside of any uh, Instagram platform uh, that had their own APIs and terms and services. They just found it via a Google search. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my daughter's a designer, and so she communicates with a lot of other designers. And it's it's amazing to me. She's very conscientious of uh, intellectual property, obviously, because of what she does and what we do. So that's aware. But there are designers that think, oh, well, they they posted it online. That means I can use it. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you, you can't. So even if you don't register your photos, uh, you still have the rights to protect them and people should be asking permission to use them. And it's different I'll, in different I'll countries at, too. Yeah, exactly. I'll be at more limited rights in the U S than in other countries. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm not a lawyer. If you register, then you can claim, uh, you know, statutory damages versus actual damages. Right. Uh, you can claim, da claim damages in either case, but, uh, if you haven't registered it, you're not going to get much and you're going to have a hard time finding a lawyer, uh, for smaller cases where the actual damages are minimal and the amount of work right. for them to actually pursue it is high. Uh, in Canada, I have registered some of my images, but in Canada, it's different. We have to pay, at least last time I did it, was $50 per image. And uh, they ask for the title of the work and the date that it was produced. And that's it. They, there are no copy of the image to go along with it, no description of it, nothing that actually really helps define it. So it's not as important in a court of law scenario. Of course, our laws are written differently um, uh, as it would have been in the United States. But yeah. 
Yeah. And, and there's differences. The UK, you can take copyright stuff through a, a version of small claims court yourself, um, which I may have to do in the near future. Uh, oh. Don't want to talk about the details on that. It's <laughs> but, That's unfortunate. Uh, it shouldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's move on to our final story, which is also unfortunate and shouldn't happen. Thank you for the segue, <laughs> Troy. This is, I know. Uh, okay, so uh, from F-Stoppers, although I saw this all over as well. Um, wedding videographer tells man with dead fiance, quote, life is a bee with an itch. Uh, and we hope you cry for what would have been your wedding day. Wow. Um, there, there's a lot <laughs> to unpack here. But yeah, uh, I, I'm not a wedding photographer or videographer. So why don't you take the helm on this one? What's the story about what was said and what do you think? Well, you know, from from the best that I can glean from the article was, you know, this this couple contracted a vendor, a videographer, and uh, a terrible incident occurred where he lost his fiance. She she died in a car accident, and so he went back. Obviously, the wedding isn't going to happen, and you know, he asks he asks for a refund, and they basically says no. And uh, we don't see all the emails that corresponded, but in but in short was, you know, the videographer said, no, we're not going to give you your money back. And that's when sort of the nastiness ensued. I, I, I believe the, the gentleman, the groom said that he would take it to, to social media. And that's I think that's where it kind of got nasty. Right. Is where the videographer got upset that he was going to take it to social media and try and handle it there. Um, for me, this is just bad behavior across the board. It's just bad behavior. You know, there's no reason not to be a good human. There's no reason not to be sympathetic. If you, as a vendor, and, and this is this is just me from my perspective, if I can't refund that money because my contract says I can't, and I financially have um, taken some expenses that I can't refund that money, then I have the legal right to not give them that money back. And that's a, that, that's a communication that you have with that person uh, and, and you do it kindly and that's, that's your contract, right? Like you have the right to uphold that contract. Um, on the other hand, it's another person, it's another human, right? And, and you, you should do what you can do to make their life better and help them. It, even in the story, the groom says, well, hey, you know, since I'm paying for this anyway, can I have this for a future use? And the videographer's like, no. And I, I just, to me, that is, that is just, I don't have personal contact with this whole experience, but just from the surface, it's just really, really, really deplorable behavior. Yeah. And yeah. that bothers well, it, me. Not only is it deplorable, um, I mean, nobody's going to hire this guy again, right? I mean, uh, on both sides. I mean, I talked earlier about, you know, being roasted in the court of public opinion, which is what's right. happening here. Um, right. And, you know, when y you do this, but the, the videographer also like registered domain names to insult this man uh, and just took it up yep. to 11 in terms of how he was being vitriolic in his response. Um, and yeah, you sign a contract that says legally you don't have to do it. Uh, and you know, in certain cases, you know, if you're talking about like being terminated from your job and you signed something that said that you're limited to only a certain number uh, of weeks per year of employment uh, uh, in termination fees, et cetera, you know, that's the kind of money legal language that has to be adhered to when things go wrong. Um, when it's a, a contract 
uh, of a very loving moment that is about to happen and then is snuffed out. Um, emotions and the human connection become very, very strong. Oh, of course. And if if you're in the business of documenting that that love, that connection, that that marriage, the the prosperity to come, um, then you should be kind hearted enough to say, okay, well, I'm going to work with you. I'll find like I, legally, I don't have to give you your money back, but let's do this or that or something, um, and or maybe the guy is just pleading so much, and honestly, yeah, you've booked that particular day. Uh, I might say, okay, well. If I can rebook something on that day, I'll give you your money back. Um, if I can't, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to stick to the contract, but you can use that at, at a future date. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, oh, of nobody course. Nobody is out at that point, right? Right now is a perfect example during during COVID. I mean, I have, you know, I have shot no weddings all year. And what are we in June, right? I should have shot, you know, 15 weddings by now. They've all been postponed. Two have been canceled. Now, by my contract, I could say, well, I can't reschedule. Your deposit is lost or reservation fee because deposits are refundable. Um, but why do that? Why would I do that? Why would I do that to those people, right? Like, yeah. these are my friends. These are my clients. And I care about them, whether it's a wedding that's that's just full of this love and unity, or it's just, it's just another human on the other side of this challenge that they have. So we work tirelessly to reschedule, find dates for them, to give them an opportunity to make that, that day happen in whatever capacity we can. And if it has to be canceled, um, we're like, okay. Uh, you have a balance on your engagement session. Let's use that money for that. Or you know what? I know you'll come back to me. Here's here's the here's your refund. Here's what we can do for you, right? Because we understand, like we're all in this boat together. And yeah. I've been in business for a long time, and I can tell you that that always comes back to you if you treat somebody well. The thing that really struck me about this story—I mean, there's many things to be fair—was <laughs> was one the harshness of language. That, oh yeah, it, that, it's uh, when I said vitriolic. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. it. The, these are very bad words. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 severe. And then, if if you're not brave enough to say these things on your Facebook page and defend your stance using the language that that videographer used, without deleting your account, you never should have said them in the first place. That's just cowardly. You know, I mean, if yeah. if if you want to take that stand, hey, take that stand. But then be prepared for the for the the, the comeback, right? The battering. Don't delete your yeah. account and run away. That doesn't do it. <laughs> that's just that's just so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and that's uh, if if I were to read the text here, digging deeper, uh, the story gets even more bizarre. Denver Seven says um, Montney reached out to the uh, news station after uh, Copper Stallion Media threatened to sue him. Uh, so now we're using the names. Copper Stallion Media is the, uh, the videographer company um, and uh, threatened to sue him for the review that he left on the company's now removed The Not page. Uh, a videographer who worked with the company before said he left because they refused to pay him, as did several Reddit commenters. And so yeah. this devolves into internet commentary at that point. But... Um, you know, these were, uh, you know, just, uh, 
not good people. I mean, I, my, my opinion of, of them, if they don't pay specific people when they say, and if their comments on them are this, um, I, I don't be in any business uh, where you're running it. Be, right. be an employee somewhere where you're told what to do because you cannot handle authority in any meaningful way. Right. And I'm and I'm curious. I mean, we can't go see the Facebook page now and I don't know about uh, any other social media accounts. But, you know, one of the things is, is that when you're hiring a vendor, you, you know, you need to do your due diligence to check their history, get references, uh, talk to other vendors that they've worked with, because I promise you that somebody who has a bad attitude, it's pervasive throughout their career. This doesn't just pop up in a good company overnight. Right. Not to this extent. Right. It's it's I can see harsh words being said in a phone call or in, in a fit of anger, but not not in continuity over time, over and over and over again. And then through conscious effort, buying domains and doing a, I think that I just caution anybody hiring vendors of any of any level. Try to just do your research. And I, I don't know if they did, but that's really important. Right. Yep. Make sure. Yep. Uh, exactly. Mm. And uh, I, I got to ask, too, because you're in this industry. What is the uh, and you don't have to answer, but what 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 is the worst uh, encounter that you have had with uh, anger and uh, this kind of commentary if it's ever come up at all? I mean, I can't think that this is commonplace, is it? No, no, it's it's not commonplace at all. And, and you know, we have had couples, I mean, being in business for 30 years, there's always situations, right, um, that, that come back and say, hey, we need to cancel our wedding or, uh, you know, we just we weren't we weren't happy with, say, the engagement photos or whatever. And, you know, we look at each other and be like, there's something else going on here, right? Because we treated them like we treat everybody else, but we don't combat that. What we do is we say, well, okay. What, what can I do to make you happy? And that's what I want to do. I want to make them happy. I want to be, I always want to ha- take the high ground. I always want to help them go away. They can go away and be mad at me. I don't care. But I know that I, that I did the right thing and I'm in business for the long term. It doesn't make any sense to, to, to try to keep a little bit of money now because you're going to lose all that future business later. Yep. So, uh, or they we have, just put out their shingle with a different name and keep doing the same dastardly things. And that's easy to check, by the way, right? It's easy to look and see how long their business has been in, in, in play, look at their social media accounts, uh, reach out to other brides. And I think that is super, super important that if you can't be transparent as a vendor and allow that information to be given to potential clients, then maybe you're not ready to be in that business yet, you know? Yeah, we've been very fortunate. Our our clients have been amazing to us, and we try to be amazing right back. Because again, it's it's humans working with humans, and there's no reason to not uh, do that. So this this certainly makes me sad. This is a really sad article, and I feel really bad for them. I do too. Uh, and in, in any industry, there's good people and there's bad people, and uh, we got to talk about the bad people and learn from them and uh, make right. ourselves better in the process. Right. right. Uh, now, before we get into our picks of the week, as we're at about that time of the show, uh, where can people find you online, Troy? If they want to book you for a wedding, where are you based <laughs> out of? Uh, if they want to just check out your portfolio or follow you on social media, where are you? Yeah, of course, of course. So my wedding work is at imageryconcepts.com, uh, imagery, I-M-A-G-E-R-Y, concepts, C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S. And the rest of my stuff can be found at spicyjello.com or 
I think that's an easier <laughs> one to remember. Spice. Well, what what is spicy Jello? Um, it's two words that go together really well. <laughs> I just, I just memorable. I I don't know. You know, I just, I like, I like the, the mix of those two words. And, and a lot of my, my daughter's business is Muse Dragon. And I always just thought that's, you know, you put two words together that just are powerful and tell a little bit of a story. So yeah, spicy jello. That's my fine art. And that's some of my stuff. And from, from uh, spicyjello.com, I'm sure you can also get to your wedding photography website uh, as well, right? Yep. There should be yep. a link there. There um, should be. I'm going to have to check now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, the links to both will be in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com which is where we also have all of the links to the stories that we've talked about and the links to the picks of the week, uh, which we will get into right now. Um, uh, as the guest, your first time on, Troy, why don't you start? Well, I I had a hard time picking a specifically photo-related link because there's so many things that I like. But as I'm making my notes, I use an application called Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N. It's very much like a OneNote or an Evernote or something like that. And I, I just, I just absolutely love the flexibility of it and the way that I can use it. It's very affordable. And one of the things that the, that Notion just did, I, I really appreciate the company. And this is one of those things, um, as we're talking about all this negativity here, uh, Notion is one of these kind of companies that's very customer oriented. You know, they're very attentive to the people that you talk to, the way that you get customer support. And I think they just made it available for the free account to have no data limits. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is which is amazing. So unlike other services where you get cut off if you want to try to share a document or an article or you can't upload as much, uh, they've removed that permanently, they said on their website. So now uh, th- this is interesting, too. Um, it, it, their website is notion.so. And I just Correct. looked up at so that uh, TLD top level domain uh, is for Somalia. Are they based in Somalia? No, I don't, I don't know where they're, they're actually, I think they're based in like San Francisco. Oh, okay. So then they're like, um, uh, Tuvalu that has the dot TV domain name. Uh, oh, yeah. everybody registers, but that nobody, uh, I have no, yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I haven't dug into the domain. Um, I, well, I was just looking that. it up. Uh, Notion.so. It's the first .so TLD that I've seen. Yep. Uh, whether or not they are from Somalia, uh, that's a good service. I'm looking through it right now. I might even start using it. Uh, my productivity has to be kicked up a notch, I think. I, I will say without sounding like a commercial that it is it is absolutely amazing. And if you look up any uh, web tutorials on how it functions, uh, there are some amazing use cases. This is one of the most flexible that I've ever needed. You can embed databases. You can cross-link databases. You can create... Uh, public documents that you can just share out to the world as a, kind of like a website or a web page that when you update on your site, obviously it's updated there. Um, I collaborate everything in there, links, notes uh, across all platforms, devices. It's quite wonderful. I'm cool. I, and it's not expensive. I think I think the annual fee is like forty eight bucks a year or something like that. A year, so. yeah. That that's. I mean, in terms of things I subscribe for, that would be one of the cheapest. Uh, oh, it's if not amazing. The cheapest. Uh, yeah. And I just looked up uh, their their jobs link says that they have open positions in San Francisco. So I guess they're based in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So, all right, well, cool. Notion is the pick of the week. Thank you for that, Troy. And mine sure. uh, is also not necessarily photography related, but I've been in the process of switching my uh, computer system around my gear and everything. Um, I did get my main desktop back up and running, but I didn't want to keep that as a um, as the only thing because I had a Surface Pro 3 from a few years ago um, that barely turns on and crashes within an hour reliably. <laughs> uh, so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't lend that as my backup. Uh, so I ended up buying a Microsoft Surface Book 3. Uh, and maybe that'll be a pick of the week in the future once I've really had the chance to dig into it. But along with that purchase, I bought the, uh, the Microsoft Arch Mouse. And uh, oh. this is a really cool design for a mouse. Uh, it's Bluetooth, and, and so it's compatible with, you know, just about everything. But uh, it has a very, very thin profile. It's flat. I mean, it's not like credit card flat, but it's very easy to put this in a laptop bag without a bulge that you might have on a on a regular mouse um, that I'm trying to hold up a mouse so that Troy and only Troy can see my other <laughs> mouse is big. Um, yeah. But, uh, but it's flat. And so... It, when you want to use it, you just bend it and it goes into an arch and then it's perfect for holding in your hands. I really like the way that it feels and the mechanism of, of, uh, of I guess, just kind of arching it, uh, of bending it that way, turns it on. There's no on off switch. Uh, then you make it flat again and it turns off. It's inherent to the design. That is, that is design. really neat. <laughs> exactly. And so the batteries will probably last forever. Uh, it's very accurate. The functions of uh, of the button and the scroll functionality work really, really well. And uh, I can't remember the cost on it. It wasn't terribly expensive, um, much less than the cost of the laptop that I just bought. So that's why I don't remember <laughs> right, how much right. it cost because it was just an incidental line item uh, on that purchase. But I mean, in terms of technology that I'm constantly having in my hands, it's a it's a keyboard to type on, it's a mouse to move around, and it's important that that is accurate and it feels good for you, uh, especially right. when you're editing your work or trying to be productive. And so the Microsoft Arch Mouse uh, mouse gets my uh, gets my pick of the week. And again, the links to that will be in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com, which brings us to the end of another episode, uh, Troy. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Uh, I, I think that I'd love to have you back on if if, if I didn't scare you away. Uh, no, it's great. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, you being in the co-pilot seat, your opinions, especially on the last story, very, very valuable. And, uh, and we will see you again in the future on another episode of Photo Geek Weekly. Thank you yeah. to everybody uh, who has been listening. And uh, it's now time to stay in and shoot. Mm-hmm.